You're listening to Below the Radar, a knowledge mobilization project out of 312 Maine. I'm Jamie Lee Gonzalez, and I work for SFU's Van City Office of Community Engagement. This podcast is about bringing forward ideas to encourage meaningful exchanges across communities. Each episode, we interview guests on topics ranging from environmental and social justice, arts, culture, community building, and urban issues. This podcast is recorded on the unceded territories of the Squamish, Musqueam, and the Tsleil-Waututh peoples. This episode, I'm in conversation with former city councillor Ellen Woodsworth, and we're talking about bringing an intersectional female voice into the governing of our cities. So welcome to our podcast, Below the Radar. I'm here with Ellen Woodsworth, who is the founder and external chair of Women Transforming Cities International Society and is a former Vancouver City Council member for COPE. Yes. Yeah. yeah, cool. And before that, 10-year organizer in the downtown Eastside SROs. Um, we'll start with what you're doing today, like these days. What are you <laughs> up to? <laughs> uh, today's kind of a crazy day. I, I come here for this interview, and then I'm going to rush off to pick up some rupees and malaria pills because I've been asked to go to Udai- Udaipur in India and be part of a meeting of 28 uh, women from around the world to discuss female leadership in resilient cities. And then I rushed to UBC to do an interview with CITR about the lack of diversity on Vancouver City Council. Again, more so than ever before. And despite the fact we have eight women elected, which is uh, good, but not enough. And then at six o'clock, I have to be at the Vancouver Public Library where a book called um, Women and the Health Movement is being launched, and I have an article in there about the abortion caravan, which we went across Canada talking about women's right to choose, and a few of us chained ourselves in the House of Commons to get the attention of the Prime Minister and the government of the day that didn't even want to meet with us. This is thousands of us gathered in in, uh, Ottawa to meet the Prime Minister and talk to MPs, and only one MP came out to talk to us. So that was back in 71. So I've been an organizer and activist in many social movements over many years. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to wait a little bit to ask you this, but since you <laughs> kind of brought it up, uh, what, do you, what do you think of the new city council in Vancouver? Uh, Women Transforming Cities launched a hot pink paper campaign in the 2014 election saying that women and girls work for cities, but cities don't work for women and girls. And mm-hmm. we'd had over 30 cafes in local neighborhoods, in art galleries, at schools, etc., to find out what women felt were the key issues. And what we came out with is the most important thing was to have a gender intersectional lens on cities' policies, programs, budgets, funding, staffing, and governance. And so in 2018, we... Um, launched the Hot Pink Paper campaign again with a Hot Pink Pathways to a Women-Friendly City and invited Diana Day, an Indigenous woman running for school board, um, Nikki Sharma, um, who was chair of the Parks Board and then ran for council and lost, Wai Young, who was the head of a, a political party running for mayor, Shauna Sylvester running as an independent, uh, Melissa DiGenova, a number of different people from different parties, from different diversities, and talk to them about what it is that they were facing as they were running with within their parties, and then and develop the hot pink paper issues and launch them. 
and we thought we were um, going to really see substantial change in the city because of uh, the 11 key issues. There were 33 asks with in in com- combination in each of the 11. They're all up on our website. We got Kennedy Stewart and Shauna Sylvester and a majority of the parties to endorse the majority of the issues and ask for asking for everything from a safety audit of the entire city and then uh, uh, that would be developed with the mayor's office and women's anti-violence organizations, and uh, then a plan to address violence in the city with a special focus on indigenous women's issues in this city. And then lo and behold, at the end, Kennedy Stewart won, which is very good because he endorsed 32 out of 33 issues. And we had eight out of the 10 counselors were women, but only one of the 10 counselors had any kind of a diversity and that's not what we fought for. I, when I launched Women Transforming Cities at City Council, I committed the organization to keep at its core the memory of the murdered missing women of the downtown east side and never to forget that. And, and we don't have that diversity there. Mm-hmm. We don't represent the unceded territory of the people of this land. We don't represent the diversity of the city, which is 39% of Asian descent. Um, We don't uh, represent uh, LGBTQI. You know, it's it's uh, very much a a WASP council, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. except for Peter Fry. And um, you know, the three uh, indigenous people who ran were well qualified. there were four uh, queer candidates who ran, also well-qualified. There were quite a number of people from the Chinese-Asian uh, descent who were well-qualified, interestingly enough, mostly in the more right-wing parties, but they didn't get elected. So we are pushing forward with the call for a gendered intersectional lens on the city, on policy programs, budgets, funding, that means funding to women's organizations, Mm -hmm. staffing, because if you look at the senior levels of government in the city, it's not diverse at all. And we've been working with the city on some of these issues. And uh, governance, we need electoral reform, we need wards in the city so that people can win without having to be part of a party, without having to have money. And for women, it means we can include our unpaid work and our volunteer work on our CVs and our resumes because people in the community will recognize that. You won't have to have the parties, which themselves can be quite biased and can be run by um, people of power in the city. Mm -hmm. What was your experience like as a counselor? Well, it was kind of funny. I I mean, I was working down here, and I'd been working on the women's memorial marches. I was chair of Bridge Housing, and and the year I was elected, we opened the doors of Bridge, which is where the Women's Center is now. And, um, you know, I'd been an activist fighting free trade. I'd been an out lesbian fighting on queer issues for a number since 1970. Um, And one of the women I was working with Georgina said, you have to, you can. And I thought, yeah. Um, You know, when you have privilege, it doesn't mean you don't try to move forward if you're 
if you, there's a possibility you can gain some political power and use it for the people, then you do that. You know, you don't not do something just because it will give you power. It's how you use power is the critical issue to be addressed and that you keep using your power for the people. And if you're not using it for the people, then the people have the right to defeat you. So I did run, and it was, I was part of the 2002 sweep with um, Larry Campbell and a whole bunch of other people. So um, I was out. Um, I'd been out for many years, and I, I was a known lefty. And so um, it... And the COPE has always been a left-wing party. It's mm-hmm. got a proud tradition. And Gene Swanson and Ann Roberts and Derek O'Keefe ran on a really strong pro-rent uh, freeze and a mansion tax and, you know, have continued to hold a, a strong left-wing position. So I felt comfortable in the party. Once I was elected, um, it was a different thing, mm-hmm. you know. Mostly it was white boys. There was only mm-hmm. two women elected, and we were both white and there was one uh, Asian uh, of Chinese descent on council. If I didn't say the word lesbian, nobody would have said the word lesbian. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, I said to Anne, we have to do something about this as women. And so we drew together a wide variety of diverse women politically and socially and developed the gender equality strategy mm-hmm. in 2005, the first one in Canada. And then we lost the election. <laughs> Cope split, Larry Campbell and some of them just wanted more power and they split and we all lost. So for three years, nothing happened with the gender equality strategy. Yeah. So that was, that was a, a, you know, I learned a lot about politics and I learned that the civic level is a great place for women to get started and that women run for office usually because there's a mistress they want to fight where men usually run as a career move. Right. So it was an interesting see, thing to see these men who I'd run with, and then they they changed a lot. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and how did that lead to uh, founding the Women Transforming Cities Society? Um, well, did I it? It, yeah, no, it did. <laughs> it did because when I got reelected, I was able. You know, one of the things in the gender equality strategy we called for an intersectional lens, even then in two thousand five, and we said we have to focus on the needs of uh, Indigenous women and girls, and we said we needed a women's advisory committee that reports to council. So when I got elected, the first thing I did is I said that we have to set up the women's advisory committee and we have to set up. Uh, a queer, well, les- LGBTQI, I think we were saying in those days, mm-hmm. committee, a multicultural committee. And Vision agreed, and so we did set up those committees, and the committees reported to council, and I was the liaison to the queer and women's committee. So that was the beginning, and I, I, deci- I thought what we needed to do is to bring together the women's movement, academics, unions at the city level, um, urbanists, and I had the idea, des- what would designing an ideal city for women and girls look like? Mm-hmm. But then Darlene Mazari, who had been an MLA and minister for uh, municipalities, said, your verb is totally wrong, Ellen. And, you know, you listen to her when she speaks because she's really knowledgeable and fun and outrageous. Mm-hmm. And so we changed it to Women Transforming Cities and launched it in the council chambers in 2011 and haven't looked back. Yeah. 
Cool. Um, so what do you think that we could do in Vancouver to actually, like what policies could we implement to, to make it a safer, more inclusive space for women? Um, well, I think go on our Women Transforming Cities website and we've got the 11 issue, key issues that we think would make Vancouver a women-friendly city. The first thing is that gender intersectional lens. Second, um, you anything that you do, whether it's climate change or violence or transit or housing, you need to put the gender intersectional lens in it because women use housing differently. Or we do 80% of the housework, so we use the kitchens differently. We we need different, um, uh, like shelves are often too high for mm-hmm. us. And, yeah. and the design of where the, the fridge and the oven door opens or differently. Like, do like they're doing in, in Holland where they bring the workers into the space where the worker's going to be working. Well, the same thing is true for housing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at climate change, women in their communities know where the the o- older person is or the disabled person is. They do the volunteer work. They know the easiest pe- way to get people in and out of situations. They know where the kids are. Um, they probably don't drive. 50% of women don't drive and don't own cars. So we're using the cities differently. Um, and if you look at say, an obvious situation, either Fukushima or, or the Bangladeshi floods, the Bangladeshi floods, 180,000 people were drowned. 90% of those were women. Mm-hmm. And in Fukushima, after the nuclear disaster and the, the flood, they found 1,200 women dead in their homes because they were doing housework, so they were invisible. So we experience climate change differently and we also are the ones making the decisions around uh, what foods we purchase, what uh, you, you know, whether we buy an energy-efficient stove or fridge, whether the kids walk to work, drive to work, or you know, these kinds of decisions about a, um, a climate, a greener city, need to have women at the table who understand women's paid and unpaid work and how climate change can work because we don't have time not to have women at the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so for people who, you know, aren't politicians or, or necessarily involved in that world, how can organizers and activists um, engage with their local government or, you know, even businesses? It's sad to say they're so like integral in making some of these decisions. How can we put pressure on? Well, I think right now it's a new council, new mayor. Uh, the mayor seems to be very open to bridging the divide between the you know, the left-wing, the right-wing parties. The advisory, all the advisory committees will be restruck, so there'll be announcements in the papers, or you can go online and get on one of those advisory committees. Women Transforming Cities have our AGM. Nikki Sharma will talk about the lack of diversity on council and what do we do about it. Um, we need to be engaged. It's a year away from the federal election, uh, we've seen what happened in the states. If we're not organized, the far right clearly is in the move in, in Canada as well. Mm-hmm. And probably, for sure, the most critical thing we re- need to do right now is vote yes to pro- proportional representation. That mm-hmm. decision alone will guarantee that at the provincial level, we will see um, one vote one person elected. The proportion of votes you get is the proportion of people you get, and it means 8% more women will get elected, elected more diversity, and gr- uh, 
Kennedy Stewart has said that before the next municipal election in four years' time, he will bring a ward system or uh, some kind of a you know, mixed ma- member mm-hmm. um, party into Vancouver, and we need to hold them to that because um, Larry Campbell also agreed to that mm-hmm. and com- Cope was committed to that, and then we were totally betrayed on that by a number of people who split off uh, to become Vision, and we, we must... Um, really think and engage politically because whether it's racism or sexism or homophobia or classism, we can do something about that if we're organized. If we're not organized, if we're not speaking out, that uh, right-wing development that's being fed by the movements in the states that have funded Bernier's campaign, funded CAC and Victory in Quebec or Doug Ford's in Ontario, they're working here too. We need to vote pro rap and start mobilizing around the federal election mm-hmm. and be on those committees at Vancouver City Council to make sure that policy really represents the true diversity of our city. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to say? Um, there's three things we're working on right now. One is the hot pink paper, which I'll go into. The second is we launched the Women Friendly Cities challenge which is an online library of wise practices based on uh the sustainable development goals the new urban agenda of of the un habitat and CETA, the convention for the elimination of discrimination against women so we invite people who have women's organizations or develop good women's policy with an intersectional lens to send us your wise practices because we're i'm off to india to speak with 20 eight women about female leadership in resilient cities, but there's amazing wise practices all over the world, mm-hmm. and we need to share them with each other. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's some great stuff out there, so um, that that's it's worth going to our website. The the um, We're also, the, our third thing we're working on is a three-year project with CREA, the Canadian Research Institute for the Advancement of Women on Systemic Barriers to Women's Participation in Local Government, so there's lots of reasons to get in touch with us and work with us, but in terms of the hot pink paper, which literally is a hot pink paper <laughs> with 11 issues, and I'll just quickly go over all mm-hmm. of them I've referenced okay. for you, but the first is the, obviously the gendered intersectional lens on everything, and then um, putting that on the issues around Indigenous women and girls, affordable housing, child care, electoral reform, violence against women, the environment, transit, women's work, paid and income, women, young women's civic engagement, immigrant, migrant, and refugee women and girls. And each one of these areas, we work with people who are the experts in the field. We're not the experts. We work with people who've been in the field working on these issues, and then we frame them up in an intersectional framework that's tied to civic issues, and then we take them forward and fight for them. Um, so each one of these issues has a background paper that explains why we chose that issue and what it means and what we want from the electeds. Mm-hmm. And then we created a report card. We uh, sent out the hot pink paper and the backgrounders or took them to each of the parties that were running and asked what whether they would support the issue. So they could support them, they could not support them, or they could um, say what their concerns are about them. So the, all of that's paste, posted on our website and it will stay up there for the next four years so that we can hold them accountable mm-hmm. 
So if you want to get involved with any of those three campaigns, or um, we'd love to meet with you, or you can email us at womentransformingcities at gmail.com. We're looking for fundraisers. We're looking for people who like to be secretaries. We're a completely volunteer-run organization. Mm-hmm. We have one desk in an open space mm-hmm. office. <laughs> Uh, we run because we believe in it, and uh, we believe in social change that reflects diverse women and girls, and we know we have to fight for it because we've gained the strength of the Me Too movement and its time and Black Lives Matter and uh, the Murdered Missing Women campaigns. We're, our women's movement is clearer and stronger, but we're not well organized, and we need to stand together in face of what is brewing, as you can see in the States, is also brewing here, and it, we need each other to survive it and uh, to make sure that it really represents all of us. Anything else you want to add? I just, it's its neat to be here facing a, <laughs> facing a big banner from the SFU strike, and uh, I think that it's, um, I really hope that this space, which is in the core of the downtown east side, mm-hmm. where so many people of the downtown east side were incarcerated, can really hire those people and create uh, spaces for for those people to organize and, and f- reflect the, the what's going on uh, in terms of the opioid crisis mm-hmm. or lack of affordable housing, it, homelessness, racism, et cetera, because this, uh, this is a space we need to be using as an organizational center. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Below the Radar. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ellen as much as I enjoyed having that conversation. She's pretty cool. Um, I just want to say thanks to Davis Steele, who composes the music for this podcast, and thanks to our producers, Melissa Roach, Maria Cecilia Saba, Am Joe Hall, and myself, Jamie Lee Gonzalez. Tune in next week. Mm-hmm.